Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. My name is Tom Raftery from SAP. And with me on the podcast today, I have my guest, Sonny. Sonny, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, yeah. Uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, I'm Sonny Neely. I'm with the SAP Industry Business Unit for Consumer Products. I'm focused on marketing and CX. And I'm bringing um, some industry experience myself, having worked um, as a senior brand manager at Coca-Cola and Ferrero before this. So kind of looking at it from a practitioner's perspective and excited to be on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks, Sonny. Now, before we jump into the podcast, we have a little kind of a competition for people who are listening in, don't we? So <laughs> I, I, I have this impression that Sonny's voice sounds amazingly like a very famous Hollywood actor. So listeners who are listening to this podcast, listen closely to the first few minutes of the podcast. And as we get towards the end of the podcast, I'll say who I think Sonny sounds like. And you tell me if I'm right. How does that sound? You okay I'll, with that, Sonny? I'll be okay with that, Tom. <laughs> superb, superb. So Sonny, consumer products, tell me about that because we have listeners in this podcast from all industries. So tell me about what's unique about the consumer products industry. Sure. Well, you know, I've worked in the industry for a while and it's a fascinating place to work. I mean, first of all, it's one of the largest sectors out there. North America alone, it's $2 trillion in revenue, right? Dominated by very large brands. In fact, 45 of the top 100 brands out there on, you know, interbrand are consumer products. So Coca-Cola, P&G, L'Oreal, and they also have huge brands within these companies. So the top CPs have 20 plus billion dollar brands, really have almost an outsize importance in the way a company manages itself. To support brands like that, you've got more marketing spend really than any sector. CP marketing spends at 24% of revenue, which can be two or three times as bigger than other, other industries. Wow. It's got a kind of a two-step you know, way of reaching the consumer because you've got that customer. I mean, the most important business relationship with CP companies is those retail customers, right? So Kroger's, your Sainsbury's, et cetera. And then a layer down from that, of course, you've got the end consumer that they need to communicate through. There's a huge implication for technology data and the marketing approach with both of those layers. And it makes for a kind of unique way of going to market. And then one other thing I'll say about the industry, it's heavily analytical. Uh, McKinsey ranks it among the top five industries for what they call analytics quotient, which is kind of the analytical rigor that's required to do business in this sector. And man, having worked there with all these different sources of data, Nielsen, brand tracking, media research, it's very complex, but it makes for a really interesting place to work for sure. Fascinating. Fascinating. And now, Sonny, you reached out to me with these seven insights that you've come across, seven trends that you've identified in, in consumer products. So let, let's go through them one by one. The first one you talked about is the changing consumer tastes. What's that about? Exactly, Tom. I mean, real quick on these trends. This is, I think it's a very interesting place to work, but these trends are also kind of couched with a little bit of caution because there are real challenges facing the industry. And the first one that you mentioned, changing consumer tastes, 
the way consumers act now couldn't be more different than it was 20 years ago. There's so much of a, of a shift towards healthier and more socially responsible products. It's really interesting to think about what those changes mean. I mean, in terms of new product development, you've got companies like Chobani that are dominating the yogurt industry with much more healthy offerings that didn't exist before. But I think the real important question is ask not so much like what are those tactical differences that are happening in the structure of products, but what in underpins these changing consumer tastes? What motivates the motivations, right? And a friend of mine from business school, Martin Sheary, has this really interesting article in Branding Mag from a couple of weeks ago. They did a 24 market study, I mean, worldwide, on post-COVID values and attitudes. So kind of getting into the deeper drivers of consumer behavior. And some of the findings that they had were, you know, in terms of how consumers are acting after the pandemic, were kind of, you know, predictable. I mean, there's more fear. There's a little bit more pessimism, right? Mm -hmm. There's a rising importance of freedom and equality. You see that a lot. I mean, the way companies and news organizations are communicating, there are ecological concerns. There are certainly are health concerns. I mean, <laughs> you know, with the aging population, in addition to things like the pandemic. But one thing that really stood out and I love the way they put this. It was so blunt. They said, we were seeing a declining focus on hedonism, novelty, and beauty. <laughs> and I, I think it's so funny. It's almost as though they've got the next to the Dow Jones index, they've got the hedonism index or something, you know, going, <laughs> going down. But, you know, you think about hedonism, it's really the, the, this excess, you know, conspicuous consumption. In a way, it makes sense because people value personal connections and community involvement more, I think, than this kind of individual image-seeking consumption. I really think that bodes well for your large companies that are that are delivering kind of these consumer staples. Do people really right now, you know, as the pandemic's ending, do they really need that status that they would get from a bespoke designer badge brand of water, or are they going to be fine with, with a bottle they get from the supermarket? We could see um, a really nice trend emerge for some of these um, these consumer staples that the big CPGs can you know produce. Now. There is another topic called revenge spending. I don't, I don't know if you've heard about revenge that. Revenge spending. Go on. What's that? Bloomberg, a couple months back, n noted that that Americans, and then a lot of consumers, obviously, but Americans in particular, have $1.7 trillion in excess savings to burn since the beginning of the, of the pandemic. People have been cooped up inside their apartments. They're anxious to get out. You're going to see some of that for sure, particularly among young adults, et cetera. But I think it's more of a near-term kind of tactical opportunity. I mean, and and because it doesn't really square with this idea of declining hedonism, declining quest for novelty. And I'm just an example, a personal note, I, I went out for, you know, my first big gourmet dinner uh, last week, you know, one of those really fancy places with a bunch of small plates. And I mean, it was really great, but about halfway through the meal, I got this nagging, almost sense of guilt. Like, is this really necessary? I mean, it's wonderful, mm -hmm. but there's so many other priorities out there, you know, at the individual family community level, you'll see that sense of um, consumer driver, um, you know, kind of imbuing a lot of the different ways that consumers are acting out there. So that would be trend number one. <laughs> okay. And the, the second trend that you talk about is the smaller players stealing share. Talk to me about that. Sure. Well, I mean, the consumer packaged goods uh, industry has been dominated by these huge global players, you know, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola. Startup, and many of them digital native brands, come with a more modern appeal, and, and they, they go after these small niches, and they're able to really just zero in on a specific need and take away share. I mean, we saw this at Diet Coke all the time, where this huge, you know, billion-dollar brand, Diet Coke, was getting just 
kind of taken apart by bit by bit. You know, there's the death by a thousand cups, mm. cuts by all these different waters and teas and and emerging types of beverages. And I think you're seeing that happen a lot. In fact, Bain has you know quantified this. They they have seen that small insurgent brands are growing ten times faster than the larger brands in their categories. So what's driving this? I mean, I think this industry. You know, it's it's been so successful for so long, but it's sort of become a victim of its own success. First of all, you know, new product development. These big companies, Coca-Cola, Ferrero, everyone, they are they're launching new brands. But when you've got this cash cow of an existing business spinning off profitability, despite the fact that it might be declining slightly, it's very hard to give realistic break-even points and set realistic expectations for a new product. They want to see the new product, you know, come straight up to par with all their, you know, existing core business units right away. And I think you see a lot of um, new products that, that aren't given really a, a fair runway to make it out. And, and that's one thing. It's not just new products. I think even new features on products. I'll give you a little anecdote. When we were at Diet Coke, we realized that we had this kind of like matte silver packaging on Diet Coke that was not really, didn't really call out to the consumers. We found a technology that could use this like bright mirror silver packaging that just jumps off the shelves at consumers. And we saw a real bump when we did studies about consumers picking up the product. So we're like, hey, let's roll this out, you know, worldwide, all the Diet Coke or, you know, nationwide, whatever we're going to do, all the Diet Coke packaging and points of sale all over the country. But then you run into these, you know, with a, with a brand like Coca-Cola that has 700,000 points of sale in the on-premise business, you can't just shift those things out overnight. That's going to have, that's going to be millions of dollars, right? Mm. And despite the fact that you found this amazing new innovation in your product. So these companies are really a victim of their own success in terms of new product development. And then the other thing is, you know, I think in terms of a brand image, when anytime a consumer sees a problem, you know, who do they think about? I mean, you can probably tell me, Tom, they think about the big companies, mm. right? They're like, yeah. You know, what, what's Coca-Cola doing? What's Procter & Gamble doing about this? You know, and so, you know, sustainability, health, human rights, they're always going to think about these big corporations. And they should. I mean, these these corporations have a role, but smaller companies can fly below the radar and don't have to have it just top of mind all the time about the risks um, of communications. And at, at a big company, it can take layers and layers of approvals and and weeks and weeks or months to to send out a single tweet or to 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 launch a very simple campaign. So there's this very um, slow uh, process in place to do that marketing communication. And I think it's becoming more and more agile, um, particularly led by some of these smaller players. So, you know, that's trend number two. Smaller players are stealing share and they're also kind of stealing um, share of mind and, and share of voice because of their ability to just communicate quicker and with less control around it. Okay, interesting. And the third uh, trend that you identified is the crisis of trust. So t tell me a little bit about that. What's that about? Well, you know, it's similar to what I was talking about before. I mean, these large companies are highly visible, huge brands do a lot of advertising. Everyone thinks about them whenever they think of a problem. You know, a lot of these food companies, for example, anything that has to do with obesity or health, consumers are concerned. There's even legislation um, that's being put against uh, companies um, in many markets. But you marry this, I mean, because when consumers think about who they trust, they think about those things. But they also think about how the company is managing their data and privacy. You know, how well is this comp is this company communicating with me and, and establishing a reasonable relationship based on how they're using my data? It's tough because companies, I think a lot, a lot of them want to think, okay, if I set up a really good data management 
process, you know, to show that I'm following privacy legislation. Is that going to reestablish trust? It'll get part of the way there. But again, consumers are thinking about this holistically. And so that data management that companies are doing, the more information they can gather and properly manage, properly respect all the purposes they're they're gathering that data for, the more opportunity they will have to, I think, establish trust. And that's why best-in-class data management, I think, is going to be critical moving forward. Okay, and what about the fourth one, no direct consumer relationship? What's that about? Consumer goods companies have a lot of data. They subscribe to syndicated data. They do a lot of market research. And in the past, they used to be sitting on a pile of data. I think that was much more impressive compared to really any other entity within this industry. But what's happened is there's a data deficit has opened up because with the massive growth of digital marketing, all this new, very granular, very detailed consumer data has emerged. So the media and agency ecosystem that consumer packaged goods companies rely on for advertising has more data than them, a lot more data, a lot more detailed data. I mean, Facebook, for example, I, I believe has 75,000 data points on each consumer. Wow. And then on the other side, you've got the retail customers for, for consumer packaged goods companies. And they have, because of things like loyalty cards, they can track every single thing that Tom Raftery buys in, you know, in the store. So yep. they know every category, when you're buying it, how often you're buying it, what you're bundle it together with when you're in, in, in the basket. And they've just got this much more uh, universal understanding of a consumer than a toothpaste company or a, you know, a soft drink company. And I think that's where the danger is that there isn't a direct relationship. You know, consumer goods companies have relied on the retailers and they've relied on their media agencies to have this one step removed relationship with consumers. The key, I think, moving forward is first party data, a direct understanding, a direct relationship with consumers. One of the ways to do that, obviously, is through e-commerce by owning that, you know, that direct tran and transactional relationship. But I think that's definitely going to be the way forward. Um, we're seeing a lot of companies do that. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, the, the fifth one uh, of the seven is CPG customers are struggling too? You know, I mentioned before, the big retailers are core to, to CPG's business. The large formats, things like Costco, Club, I think are doing pretty well. And some of the more local, you know, highly convenient formats are doing well, obviously e-commerce, but the ones that are stuck in the middle, you know, those traditional supermarkets, they're the ones that are losing share. And that's where so much of the business has been. So I think it's, it's a question of how can consumer goods companies help these customers better understand their consumers? How can they work with them to help, you know, stem the decline of these core uh, buying customers of theirs? But also it's about how can they, uh, CPG companies, exercise agility to move from channel to channel and to build, you know, to jump aboard the, the growing e-commerce trend, you know, now that on-premise or, you know, Hareka is opening back up, sure that you're able to serve those different channels as there's an inevitable um, evolution in terms of the channel mix. Interesting. And the sixth one is that the consumer journeys are becoming more complex. What's that about? I mentioned before, it used to be kind of a simple, you know, there's traditional media and then the, you've got these retail um, purchase occasions. But so much is changing with the, with the rise of e-commerce and with the rise and fragmentation of digital media. Digital media is now, in, in many cases, 60% plus of the media mix. So there's a, a constant decline of traditional media. And the ways that consumers uh, follow and make a purchase decision, even for smaller products, I think has become more and more complex. Jumping from platform to platform 
and it's spinning off just a, a mind-boggling amount of data and trying to capture as much of that data as possible. Um, I think it's going to be critical to understanding consumers moving forward, especially as these journeys are probably only going to become more complex. Okay. And finally, the short-term focus on margin is our number seven trend. So what's that about? You know, with all these frightening uh, challenges facing the industry, you would think that they would just take immediate action or they would have taken action a long time ago. But there's a real reason that they haven't. I think it's this double skepticism. The industry faces a lot of competition and it's had some tighter margins recently. But there's this skepticism about whether or not they need to fully transform the way they're doing digital marketing. A lot of people are very comfortable with these things called third-party cookies, which are going to be going away in 2023. Mm. But in the meantime, they use this very simplistic approach where a cookie is set. So you track a short period of time, how the consumer is acting, and then try and retarget them with your messaging. It's sort of a short-term, short-sighted way to um, to drive transactions. It works pretty well. I mean, I, would, I won't say it's perfect. I think a lot of people have this view, like, do I really need to do a total transformation, bring all this first-party data in, invest in my own database, when what I'm doing works pretty well? Well, they're going to need to change in 2023, but I think some people are still just trying to hang on to the old ways of doing things. The others kind of, I mentioned a double skepticism. I think some brands are doubting digital marketing altogether. You know, they're thinking, okay, digital marketing atomizes, fragments my message. I can tell every consumer something different, whatever they want to hear to try and buy my my product. And that does drive transactions, but in the short term, what does this brand stand for? You know, how is it differentiated in the market over the long term? What about those large investments that really solidify and articulate what the brand stands for? You know, things like sponsorships of very large events. For example, Coca-Cola, you know, sponsoring a, a huge soccer event. By the way, I mean, some people think these events are actually on the upswing. We saw just a couple of days ago the Euro Cup final and uh, Tom, I'm sorry about, oh no, actually, I'm sorry. You're not an England fan and I am. No. So I'm the one who's <laughs> suffering. And I guess you're celebrating Italy's victory. That cup, it was a 33% increase in terms of TV viewership over 2016. I mean, that's a good sign for some of these tentpole events. And it's a good sign for people that believe that there's still more to be done in the branding and the long-term positioning space of marketing versus simply just this digitized, you know, short-term thinking. But nevertheless, I think that's why companies are reticent to change. They're focusing on the margins. They don't want to do big, expensive transformations. I think in the long term, they're going to need to, uh, of course. And the faster they get started around first-party data and, and understanding what's needed for um, those transformations, the better. Interesting. Now, given those seven trends that you've identified, Sonny, what are the keys to success for the future of consumer products? The first thing I'll say is it used to be that big eats small. You know, this this kind of economy of scale would beat out the little guys. But now I think it's really fast eats slow. I mean, it's true in consumer packets, good software, a lot of industries. The way you get faster in this business is you get a direct relationship with consumer. You don't cut out the retailers, but you understand the consumer directly. Mm. You need a unified database that understands the consumer across brands and has a deep knowledge of the way they interact with your brand, the way they interact with your competitors, um, the so way they shop. it's not just fast eats slow, it's also digital beats or digital eats analog. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah, you can't do this the old way. And the measurability of digital connections with consumers is very clear. 
versus a little bit of a black box. I mean, I can tell you trying to measure traditional marketing or traditional media like TV ads has always been uh, <laughs> an uncertain um, exercise. Sticking but you've the got finger to, in the air kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think this direct, this, this unified database that allows you to have all this first party data, I think it's going to be critical to have that agility, you know, moving forward. I think another, another aspect is real time and deeper consumer insights, things like brand tracking, which is an activity that a lot of companies do, you know, they'll do a monthly or quarterly tracker to understand the awareness, et cetera, on their brand that needs to evolve. You need to make that type of study more real time. You need to make it more actionable, you know, things like setting up alerts so that people are, are aware of what's happening when something critical changes in, in brand awareness or, or consumer behavior. Better insights is going to be critical to this kind of, you know, fast, eat slow. And then finally, ubiquitous personalization. The faster uh, you can understand the specific kind of differentiating things about a consumer's preferences and deliver them, the better. Consumers have never been more fragmented and polarized, but there's technology out there that can deliver the right message at the right time, um, in the right place. And I think it, it's you're definitely going to be leaving value on the table if you're not you know, investing in that type of personalization. Cool. Cool, cool. Sonny, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. Is there any question I have not asked that you wish I had, or is there any topic we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of? I think there's this going back to this this idea that can I just focus on the margins and just do little tweaks? I think what we're looking at here is sort of like a revolutionary shift akin to the difference between kind of the end of the US USSR Cold War moving into the the world of, you know, asymmetric warfare and irregular warfare. I mean, it used to be that there was one adversary, you know, Coke had Pepsi, you know, and, and there was this kind of one-on-one -on -one battle going on. But now brands have to look at a myriad of scores and scores of different types of threats, maybe even threats that are outside the category and address them in a way that's completely different than they might have done before with these kind of two singularly focused competitive efforts against a single adversary. The urgency is one of um, sort of a once in a lifetime form. And, and if companies don't take action, they're definitely going to regret it. I think the sooner they can begin, the better, regardless of the 2023 um, third party cookie deadline. Interesting. Interesting. We said at the outset, Sonny, that you had this voice that sounds very like a famous Hollywood actor. So uh, will we will we reveal who I think your voice sounds like? <laughs> yeah, we could do it, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I think your voice sounds incredibly like Christian Slater's. If I close my eyes and just listen to your voice, I think I, I hear Christian Slater, you know, I, and I get flashbacks to True Romance, which was <laughs> I mean, the, the True Romance movie was amazing. It was it was I, I went to that movie not knowing what to expect. I, I thought it was going to be a rom-com and I got a seat yeah. near the front of the cinema and I was blown away. So <laughs> do, do you get that a lot, the whole Christian Slater thing? I, I've heard it before. I mean, it's a huge compliment, Tom. I, mean, I don't think I could ever equal what he did and pump up the volume, you know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Super, super. Okay, Sonny, if people want to know more about yourself or about consumer products or any of the things we talked about today, where would you have me direct them? Absolutely. Yeah. SAP is going to be publishing a, a fantastic white paper on the future of consumer products. I can send you the link. And then also, obviously, check out my uh, LinkedIn page for updates on everything else um, we're working on in the consumer products area. Fantastic. Sonny, that's been great. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thanks so much, Tom. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries. Thank you.